The following is a pre-recorded program. Possible that someone who was involved in war atrocities, slaughtering of men, even sacrificing children to demons, that someone like that could become radically saved? A pastor? A man doing good for his nation? You'll find out today. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, this is Michael Brown, and we have an amazing interview today from Liberia. A dear brother, Brother Joshua, he is close with one of my dear friends and colleagues who's worked in Africa for years. This man was previously known as General Butt Naked. I read about him before he was saved and the terror that he caused and the demonic man that he was, and then found out with amazement how the Lord had saved him and how he is going about doing good and seeking to undo the damage that he did through the real power of the gospel. So from Liberia, Brother Joshua, welcome to the line of fire. Thank you too, sir. Thank you, Dr. Brown. And thanks uh, to all of the technical crew. Thanks also to uh, everyone who will be watching this uh, cast. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Joshua Milton Blahi. I'm the one they used to refer to as General Bot Naked. Let's talk about your past. How is it, what was your life like growing up in Liberia, war-torn Liberia? How is it that you got influenced by these demonic powers and gave yourself to evil? Well, my father was supposed to be the priest uh, from the Crown tribe. I am from the sect of the Crown tribe called Chukong. And uh, we are the one responsible, our tribe and family are like a priestly family who controls the biggest deity amongst the Crown tribe, and it's called Nyagbeawe. This deity was encountered uh, by my fathers, my forefathers, more than 200 years ago. And it's oper- it operates by a priest who speaks to him and speak to the people, speak from the people, take the people's requests to him and take his solutions or desires to the people. Uh, uh, and so for many years, my tribe have worshipped this deity and submitted to it uh, uh, fully. My father was fortunate to be wealthy and educated, my biological father. Uh, and so the mantle fell on him. He was the chief accountant at the Ministry of Finance when this mantle fell on him. He went back home from Monovia to answer to his call. But because he was worthy and educated, the deity and the elders thought he would not be an effective priest. And so they asked him to bring his first son. He was married to a woman from the north, from the north of Liberia, uh, from the Loman tribe. And we are from the southeast, from the Sapokran tribe. And so they say his son from that Loman woman will not be an effective priest. And so they insisted that he must have a child from a woman or by a woman from the tribe. And so he was confused and wanted to honor his fathers. So he asked them to choose the woman. And so they cast their lot 
and the lot fell on my mother, who was already married with two children. So tradition insisted she left her husband, and he left his wife. They came together, and they gave birth to me and returned to their husbands and their wife. And then my mother kept me for four years and turned me over to my father, who kept me until I was seven years of age and turned me over to the elders. And uh, the elders trained me for four years as a witchcraft. I was schooled for four years as a witchcraft. And at the age of 11, I was fully initiated and became the priest to the tribe. <laughs> what did that entail at the age of 11, becoming the priest? What were your activities and, and how dark was this? Well, uh, first of all, uh, uh, there's an interesting part where my father, you know, who kept me for three years until I was seven years, uh, programmed me to accept and love this deity. My father uh, would give me gifts on a daily basis. And uh, these gifts, he would tell me it was sent to me by this cause of his father. He would give me gift candy biscuits, slippers, anything he gave me on a daily basis. My father will remind me that these gifts were given to me by the gods of his father. So at the age of seven, when he turned me over to the elders, there was no fear in my heart, you know, even though they were strange warriors, more than 40 men who were max, musculous, uh, naked, you know, but I had no fear because for three years I was indoctrinated to know that the gods of my father loved me so much to send me gifts on a daily basis. And so when they took me uh, and, and made me to believe that uh, I needed to be prepared to meet this deity, four years actually was like a week to me because um, uh, every day I woke up, I'm expecting to meet this this deity, you know, they will take me through different trainings. Uh, in these four years, I never saw the daylight once. Uh, in, this, in the Liberia setting, there are sacred schools, demonic schools. Uh, different sides have different names. We have the Poro and the Sandy. In most part of the country, we have the Bon Society, where I am now in Nima County, and we have the Gias from the southeast. And people normally go to these witchcraft schools, these traditional schools, and at most, they spend one year. But I spent four years. And in these four years, I never saw the daylight once. 6 a.m. in the morning, my eyes were blindfolded, and uh, 7 in the evening, they take it from my eyes. So I was taught to, to, to sense things just by smelling or by a presence. So uh, at the age of 11, uh, I was fully initiated and I uh, became the priest. My role as a priest, I needed to reach the tribe well. Anything the tribe wanted to do, they consulted me, both individuals and families. If a family wanted to get married, they come for my blessing. If they wanted to make their farms, they come for the blessings of the of the gods. If they wanted to harvest, they needed the blessing to the extent that if a man, you know, uh, 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 cultivates a farm and his rice and cassava and plantain are all wrapped, if the deity do not give him the blessings, he cannot cut, he cannot harvest any of his crops. 
even if it caused his child dying from starvation, the deity need to give him the blessings. And so that, that was my role. Now, 1982, I was fully, it, it, it was the year I was fully initiated, and a man from my tribe was the president at, that, at this time. The first native president, Master Sergeant Samuel Kayando, was my subject. And so I was responsible. He, I was responsible to protect him, to advise him, like I advised every members in the tribe who accepted the tradition, who stuck to the tradition, and start to get involved in even more demonic activity with with violent acts and things like that. At what point in your life did that take place? Where well, I actually, it was actually from the beginning because at the age of eleven, as a priest, um, there were there were sacrifices made, you know. So right at the age of eleven, I did my first human sacrifice, because as a priest, it is believed that every human being was owned by the deity, and once the deity won any of his creations, the family gladly submit that person to be sacrificed, even though they do not know the person is killed, it was believed that the person was requested for by the deity to live with him. So they just believed that he was living one life for another life. So it was it was it was a belief that if I is a belief they still have that uh, 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 once the deity requests for your child you know, for sacrifice or any members of the family for sacrifice, meaning the family is fortunate, the family is blessed. In fact, the family members will surround that child to tell the child to not forget about them when they are with the deity. They should send them blessing. They should, they should, they should send them love. They should advocate for them. So it was a tradition. So, that- so when, those people, when those people were turned over, they were actually killed. Time you engaged in human sacrifice at the age of 11? No, I did not feel any guilt. I felt that I was pleasing the deity. I was, I actually, you know, met the deity, uh, and the 11 days I spent with him, he revealed to me my 11 years. Every, the first day was my first year, and uh, and uh, at the end of it, he made me to see former priests who were very honored to him, who were very uh, respectful and honored him and how he honored them. And he also showed me priests who were disobedient and he showed me how they were suffering, how he tied them. And so I did not have any desire. There was no desire in me to hurt and, you know, to disobey. But uh, I was like, like those four years training, I was trained to kill you know, very fast. So most of the time, uh, in a spirit of uh, 50 seconds, you know, 50 to 75 seconds, the the the, the, person, the child is already dead. So you you you, I, I was not able to 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 to, to see the child pains. And, you know, even though uh, it came a time, you know, uh, when I moved to Monrovia. It came a time where, when, 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 when there were other need for sacrifice, 
those people who were not part of the tribe, who did not, you know, who were not part of the tribe, who we stole from spiritually, you know, to bless the tribe, you know, is deep, is is deep, it needs long explanation. But it is believed that people were born with with different blessings and different graces and different virtue. And when the tribe needed to do certain sacrifice, we prefer killing someone as you know, and then give that give the person virtue for the tribe. And so such people who were not family, when the child died, they cried. So when they were crying at a time, you know, I, I felt I felt guilty. And so from that time I stopped taking victims from the community I was living in. So I started going distance to take victims from where when the parents were crying. I will not hear it. So, but, but actually, yeah. Let me just jump in here for a moment, and we're going to take a brief break and come right back. Uh, this man was on the dark side. This is as dark as it gets, and yet he's a servant of God today, and he's rescuing and helping children in need, and he made things right with the nation. Let's find out how this man became general but naked. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Friends, this is one of the most fascinating interviews we've ever had or will ever have on The Line of Fire. It is dramatic. It is intense. A man who was given to serving demons, a man who believed he was doing the deity's will by engaging in human sacrifice at the age of of 11, a man who became a notorious general known for war atrocities, now serving the Lord humbly and faithfully in his home country of Liberia, Brother Joshua, once known as General Butt Naked. So, sir, you've talked about how you were raised, how you were raised up to serve as a priest of the deity, so the demon, the leading demon in your region at the age of 11. How did you get from that to becoming the man who instilled fear throughout the nation, general butt naked? And and did you believe that in battle that this demon that you worship protected you? Well, now I know it is God who who protected me for his purpose. But at that time, I I I believe that it was the demons that was protecting me. And the reason I believe now it is God is because there were people who were as powerful as me uh, who could defy bullets, who were immune to bullets, measles, I think, they also died. So I believe it is God who spared my life. But how I became a general was the fact that President Doe was from my tribe, so he was my subject. And uh, it came a time that I made him to silence every other spiritual worship. I made him to silence even the Masonic craft. It is in the history of Liberia that President Doe stopped the Masonic craft from operating. He stopped the Bodios, he stopped the Poro and the Sandy, he stopped the Bonds from operating anywhere around Monovia. And it's because was of my advice. And I made him to initiate 
every member of his cabinet before he made anyone the member of his cabinet they have to go through initiations so that they can be we can have their confidence so that we can trust them so almost all of his ministers subscribes to that his ministers his directors subscribe to that it will be very few who may be who may be dutch it at the time but then also the security apparatus were flooded with our tribe members, the police, the army, the CRD, the NSA, all of the security apparatus were flooded by our tribe members. And so when he started, you know, when he was, he became a dictator to the country, he depended on the protections of his kingsmen who were in the security sectors. So when the war came, it came almost directly against the tribe. Because even tribe members who were not even qualified were holding strategic ministerial positions because of the covenant, you know, that was that was that was being protecting him. And so when the war came, it came directly against the tribe. And so as a priest, I needed to protect the tribe. So I came to town with another traditional warrior, or another traditional priest, who is uh, uh, called, who was called Omen Jeswen. He and myself came with two traditional warriors. One was Yuzio Bawe, and the other one was Nyomplu Tele, which are well known in the history of Liberia. And so when we came, uh, 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 Omen Jeswen deflected. So it was me over the two traditional warriors, which was tedious. I could not maintain them. They were like, it's like two hunters went on the front or in the bush with two extremely wide dogs. So when, when one hunter left, the one hunter could not maintain the two wild dogs. We could not maintain, I could not maintain the two of them. So we had to kill one of them to be able to maintain the other ones because when you are not with him, he kill anyone he sees, even his own people. So for us to be able to maintain, for me to be able to maintain uh, 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 that, I needed to kill one to maintain one. And I killed uh, just to maintain Yuzio Bawe. And so uh, so the war went on until Do died. When Do died, the tribe ran into exile. And the tribe came back 1993, and they needed my, my help. And by this time, they did not have arms and ammunition. They never had sufficient arms and ammunition. So I needed to go on the front to exercise spiritual powers on the battlefront to capture natural arms and natural grounds and turn it over to them. So I would normally go on the front line, uh, 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 capture those grinds, uh, 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 disfigure the enemies, then they capture the ground, they, they come naturally to hold the ground. And so I was between being a priest and a traditional warrior, because by this time, Yuzio Bawe have gone back in the interior and, you know, uh, uh, between Liberia and Africa Coast. So I was the only person in town. So I needed to play the role of a priest and that of a traditional warrior. And that was where, you know, the devil used me the most, because every battle I went for, I needed to appease my throne by making a sacrifice of an innocent child. So if I had, if I was called to fight, to fight two, three different battles a day, that means my throne have to be 
a piece two, three different times by sacrificing two, three different innocent children every time I go to battle. So this this was a horrific time of, of evil, murderous evil, sacrifice and killing children, one of the ugliest things that a human being could possibly do. And then you, you believe somehow being naked, that, that, that instilled further fear. Uh, so you'd go into battle uh, naked and people were terrified of you and you believe that you were protected from the bullets and things like this. And uh, yeah. in your your estimation, uh, thousands you were involved in thousands of deaths. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, at the TRC, the countdown went to est- uh, uh, estimated twenty thousand. Yeah, and I, I I had read that someone questioned it and said that there were <clears throat> there were many less. And your response was, "I wish there were less." Obviously, this is a a horrific, horrific story. As I said, I, I read about it <clears throat> when you were in the midst of it and, and the terror and all of that and the witchcraft. I didn't know what to make of it, but just heard of that part. And then you come to the Lord. Um, obviously, there's a long story in, in terms of how you, you came to faith. And then what happened after you've been a believer is, is very, very significant because people might be wondering, well, if you committed all these crimes, how could you be alive today? And, and wouldn't there be a death sentence over you? But there's a big story to that as well. We've just got about three minutes before the next break. But how is it that God began to work in your life? Because obviously the message of the one true God was completely foreign to you. You were just serving this demon that you thought was was a, a powerful deity how did you first get introduced to the truth of the gospel? Well, I was, I was, I was it was a tense battle against us a particular day. And uh, the entire tribe needed my intervention. The elders needed to find this sacrifice. They checked for this sacrifice for hours and they could not find one. And a lady from the tribe came to me with her three years old daughter and turned this daughter over to me. And it was the first time my heart really felt sorrow Mm. because this child was so beautiful. She was peaceful. Mm. Worst of it, she was laughing as her mother turned her over to me. And as I, as I look at her, sucked everything in me, said this child did not deserve death. And so I was hoping the errors should come with a replacement. So, and the battle was still against us, and I was my tribe, my tribe was dying in the thousand. So the mother came back and asked me to please beg the deity if this child did not meet the qualifications of the deity. And upon this plea, I just could not refuse. And so after killing this child, her blood stain was still in my hand when I heard a voice behind me, my son, why are you slaving? And this voice was in my dialect. I could not fluently speak English. So the voice spoke in my dialect and said, When I look back at this voice, it was a man four to five feet suspended from the earth. He was in white laney but he was brighter than the sun and I could not look at him for the split of second. 
So I was forced to bow down my head to speak to him. And that's where I strongly believe the scripture that says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because his presence was so compelling that I could not look at him for the split of second. However, I thought I was not a slave. I thought I was a king. And I argued that to him. And he said, you rightly said you're supposed to be your king. But your seven is on your feet. It's on your shoulder when he's supposed to be at your feet. And I said, I don't understand. He said, repent and live or refuse and die. And then and he disappeared. Mm. And, and the war stopped. There was automatic ceasefire because I was worried about this deity because I knew the difference between spirit beings and human beings. And it was one of the Lord. I'm not supposed to talk to any other deity except Yahweh. So talking to him, he intruded into my life. It worried me. And I did not go to the front that day, and there was a ceasefire sign. All right, let, me just, let me just jump in. So obviously something's going on behind the scenes. There must be prayer. Something's going on for Jesus to appear to this man and say, repent and live, refuse and die. That's really a simple message of the gospel. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I'm speaking with my brother Joshua from Liberia, the first time we've spoken face-to-face by Skype. He's with a dear friend and colleague, grad from our ministry school I've known for many years, who's worked side-by-side with Brother Joshua and knows the reality of his conversion a man who at the age of 11 was initiated as the priest of his tribe, a man who began practicing human sacrifice at that young age, a man who was engaged in war atrocities and sacrificing children to appease the deity before going to battle, became known as General Butt Naked because he would run into battle naked and instill fear into the, the hearts of those he was fighting and responsible for the deaths of many thousands in Liberia, in the midst of war. And then Jesus appears to him and gives him an ultimatum, repent and live, refuse and die. Joshua, were there people that were praying and fasting for you? Do you know anything behind the scenes that happened that led to that moment when Jesus appeared to you? Well, after I got invited, in fact, before I got invited, a group of young men you know, encountered me, but uh, it was after I had this encounter. According to them, uh, they were praying in a place called Banave, and they declared the place Goshen, and they made some terrible decree. And then they had a prayer time that they declared was Operation Egypt Pressborn, which is they were relating to the plague that, uh, in, in Egypt, where all the firstborn of the Egyptian were killed, the last plague. And so when they started praying this prayer, they were referring to the generals who were fighting the war. And there were so many generals who died at that time. And according to them, when they started to pray against me, they got a prophecy from a woman who told them, the Lord told them, the Lord is telling her 
that she should tell them not to pray against me, but pray for me because he had arrested me for his purpose. And according to them, they did not believe it at first, but later on, one of the head, the leaders, had a dream and confirmed the woman prophecy was real. And so they started praying for me. And so they prayed for me, prayed for me until it was, you know, ceasefire, the war was kind. Then they decided to come to confront me. So they came to confront me, even though they were they started coming from they were about 10 in numbers, but people started making them afraid until only one reached to my house. I was in my room, in my shrine, chanting when I heard the door knock, you know, on the front door, even though my shrine were created against soundproofed. When you were to my door and you shoot a gun when I'm in my shrine, I will not hear you because it was built against shrine, against sound. My boys also, it was a three-story building. My boys were down steps. I used the up steps for slutters, and I was in the middle steps. And my boy would never knock my door. If they wanted me, if the elders wanted me, the elders would chant my presence. So no one would knock my door. So it was strange this afternoon when I heard a knock at my door. Even though I was in my shrine, the sound was so strong like it was on my heart. And so I came and opened the door and saw this unfavorable young man, you know, standing at the door and he's telling me, Jesus loved me. And he gave me a seat in my own house and started saying a lot of things, you know, that was that I could not understand, of course. But I never had desire to even harm him. I never had the feelings, you know, to reject him. I only wanted him to go. So everything he said. I listened to it and just agreed so that he can leave. Hoping that he should leave, he asked me that he want, I should close my eyes for him to pray for me. And so I pretended like I was closing my eyes, even though I was not afraid of his presence, because I was so confident in myself that even 100 of him could do me nothing. And so I closed my eyes, but just wanted to see what he wanted to do when he asked me to close my eyes. So I opened my fingers over my eyes and was watching him as he prayed, and he asked me to say amen. When he left, it was strange to me. I opened the door to see if my boys were at post, and they were all on post. And I asked them who he was, and they swore to me that they have never seen anyone coming in or going out. Mm. Uh, and so I got I got annoyed, you know, and uh, called the commander and asked him where he was, where his boys were. He swore that he was there, and it sounded stupid to me, excuse me, for the expression, and so I had to shoot him twice in uh, twice each bullet in in one leg, and I asked his 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 boys to take him upstairs that he should bleed until he died. So even though they knew that you know they believed that no one came to me, uh, uh, maybe I was just hallucinating. So they tried to rescue him, but before they reached him to the hospital, he have his blood. He had already lost blood, and they have to amputate his both legs. Uh. And so these people, this man came the next day. This time there were two. The two of them came. They also spoke to me at the same time. This time when they were going out, I walked with them so my boys can see them. I asked them who they were as they left. My boys said, we swear only when these men were coming out 
that we saw them. And it sounds foolish to me again. This time, the two of them, I killed two of them for that. So the third day they came, they came very, uh, more than 10 of them, and they asked me for an apartment across my house. So I gave them the apartment, and they started praying and fasting. They fasted and prayed for me 54 days before I finally gave my life to Christ. And I really did not give my life to Christ because I loved him at the time. What they display was so powerful. The deity threatened me, warned me about them, how terrible they were, how how they could harm me, how they could make more of me. And uh, uh, so, so I was thinking, if this man promised me that he's the almighty and he's all powerful and he will make me the greatest and he's afraid of these men who are not even up to 20 when he have led me against 500 troops and led me against sophisticated weapons and i and i captured them in my in my mind i was thinking then i'm at risk if these guys are stronger than me however let me see what these guys are depending on maybe i will subscribe to him and denounce Nyagbeyawe, you know, that was my thought. And so when I when I came to Jesus, I did not come to him because I loved him. I came to him from the power I thought they had and I could use to continue, you know, my, my protection for my tribe, but not from, you know, Nyagbeyawe, the gods of my father. Yeah. You know, then I discover, then I discover, indeed, he was really powerful, but his power was not to destroy, but to give life and give life more abundantly. So when when did you experience then the real deep conversion where you discovered God's love and then recognized the evil that you had done? How did that how did that happen? When you really came to know the Lord, when did the realization come to you as in terms of the blood that was on your hands? It was nine, It was the same 1996 on the 30th of September. It was when I recognized uh, who Jesus was, and uh, I gave my life to him. And then uh, on the 1st of October, every arms, every weapons I had, I turned it over to the political leader. All of the monies that were looted, the cars that were looted, I turned them over to Ecomoc. The houses of people, the whole Monovia was under my protection. Uh, all the boys that were fighting with me, I asked them that I have found a new master. If they could join me, it would be good for them. If they never wanted to join me, they can stay with Roosevelt Johnson. Some of them joined me, and then I left the entire barrack, left the entire possessions. I had more than 3,000 kais were under my control. I left everything, left all of my weapons, left all of the houses I seized, and moved to Banave, where these pastors, these young ministers came from, and I started sleeping, living in the church. Mm. You know, sleeping in the church, you know, on the church bench uh, 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 with my boys and myself. The church at that time were not mature enough, you know, to host every one of us, and most of the guys mm -hmm. Uh, backslided and went back, but I knew what I saw. I knew I saw Jesus. Besides, on the front line, I also saw him the day I gave my life to Christ. When I slain in the spirit, I saw him, and uh, I was wondering where I knew him from. He was in white linen, again, the same thing, and I knew I had seen him, uh, and I was worrying, wondering, and he said, yes, I am the one who told you that uh, you can come and enjoy your kingship. 
It's good that you drop that servants of yours and be a king now. And I want to tell him, say, oh, I'm going to die if I don't make a human sacrifice uh, uh, on, the, on, uh, uh, on the monthly basic to the deity. I will die if I tell anyone, if I, I will die if I even touch cola nut. But before I said that to him, he said, you have no reason to fear. He took from behind him a very big key. And he showed me the key in his hands and said, this is the key of life. I am the only one who's able to open it or to shut it. The devil told you that you should not, uh, you will die if you don't make him a sacrifice. You will die if you eat cola nut. You will die if you tell anyone about him. But I am telling you, go back into the world. Tell the world that I live. Tell my people, tell my servant. They are not as effective because they only have me on their lips. You had the deity of your father in your minds and in your heart. My people should carry me in your hearts and they will be as effective. But go and tell the world and you will not die. And I saw myself literally going back into my slain body that was on the ground. And then when I woke up, I went to test it. I went to look for cola nuts. Everybody thought I was getting crazy, <laughs> and I ate the cola nut and did not die. And then I believe that uh, uh, this Jesus was worried of, you know, protecting me. Mm. And so I surrendered everything to him. Even though at first I was like looking like a madman because I would not take bath, I would not eat, I would not sleep. I'm walking from street to street, telling people I'm sorry. For hurting them, I used to be called General Botnicki. I'm the one who caused all of this havoc. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I did not stop. For months, I was around in the street telling people. Some people hated me. Some people tried to revenge on me. Even in my zeal, you know, I would just close my eyes and kneel down before them and tell them, if killing me would make them happy, they could go ahead. But I can assure them that... Uh, Go it, will not do, yeah. it will not help anything. All right, and let me let me uh, let me just uh, jump in. We've got we've got one more break, and friends, this is this is a real remarkable radical conversion. My brother testifies before the government now has an amazing ministry, helping those who used to hurt. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us today on The Line of Fire, speaking with my brother Joshua from Liberia. What an extraordinary testimony. All right, we, we only have a short period of time left, so we can't get into full details. But there was a national committee that is now trying to sort things through after your country so torn by war, the different factions— and and you, as I understand, were the first one to come forward and just confess and say you're sorry and now what you're doing to bring about good. Tell us very briefly about this committee and when you testified before them. Yeah, the truth, the 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 the, uh, uh, the TRC is the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is uh, modeled after the South African, you know, pattern. And so we had the options for accepting the war crime court or the TRC. So the government accepted the TRC. However, most of the perpetrators went there, uh, they have changed their life from being 
warriors, warlords, to being politicians. So maybe because of that, they have things to hide. But the Bible said, uh, uh, I shall speak, I shall know the truth, and the truth will set me free. And so when I went to the TRC, I went to speak the truth. And I was able to speak the truth and give accounts of actually everything I did. For example, if we went somewhere and 10 persons died and I was responsible for five, I would say, yes, 10 persons died and I was responsible for five. The, the person who killed the ballon five should come back to say their own story. And so I was so honest, you know, to the to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, uh, not because I wanted to be, you know, free from persecution, but because I knew that it was the truth, and as a Christian, I'm not supposed to lie. And so after saying this truth, the entire commission uh, thought I was the only person who spoke the truth, and most of the guys are influenced to go to the truth, uh, to go to the, re the truth and reconciliations from my mission, who but by that time I was still helping ex-combatants, I was going after them, encouraging them about Jesus. So everyone I took there from my camp, who were different generals who committed different massacres, all spoke the truth. And so because of this, I was recommended for amnesty, even though it's not a justification, you know, to be accepted for amnesty, it was just a recommendation. But now there is uh, uh, the International Criminal Court that is about to be established, and I have prepared myself, like I prepare myself for the truth and reconciliation to face the International Crime War Crime Court, you know, to, to be able to face them. But after I went to that Truth and Reconciliation Commission, I was recommended for amnesty. The Truth, the truth and Reconciliation Commission happens 2007. But since 1996 that I got convicted, I have been going from community to community to meet families I hurt mm. and ask them I'm all sorry. Some of them, some children today who don't know their tribes because I killed their families, killed their fathers and their mothers, uh, today are like a children to me. And some of them are like little brothers to me. Mm. I, form, I form a community with them and we are helping each other. Some of them are in college now. Uh, just yesterday, uh, uh, a family who father and brother are killed, I was able to meet with them or church set it up because Nima County, where we are, are the, are the tribe that I did so much against. You know, they were the one fighting against, or they were the one who children, you know, we marked. We went to churches and killed them where they were hiding. We hunted them and killed them. But today I am in Nima County without a bully guy. I come here without a bully guy because since 1996, I've been going after them. Some of them want to hurt me back, but the power of God convicts them and, and, and make them to forgive me. And some of them will say, well, I don't want to talk to you again, but I leave you with God. You know, I'm not going to harm you again, but don't come around me. And you know, some of them will accept me to improvise, you know, uh, as a family member to them since they never had families. Yeah. And, and again, friends, this is, this is what repentance does. You humble yourself, you confess, you ask forgiveness, you seek, seek to make things right. You present yourself to a national committee that's trying to, to bring harmony after, after the terrible wars that ravaged Liberia. And now he's going to submit himself to an international tribunal and leaving his fate in God's hands. And at the same time, you are involved in helping other boys in need and active in ministry. Uh, before we're done, I want to make sure that we, we give a link if folks want to support your work, 
get behind what you're you're doing. But because so many people knew who you were, obviously your testimony goes through the nation and even has been shared in other African nations. What are you doing now to, to help others, uh, kids on the street, things like that? Tell, tell us briefly about the ministry that you're presently involved with. Yes. When I got converted uh, 2004, the war got finished 2003. In 2004, I came back to Liberia. And then I decided to help in the disarmament process. And I was going to cantonment sites. I was going to barracks. I was going to butchers to tell to help the United Nations and make these guys understand what peace is. Because most of them were manipulated manipulated into war. And so even when they came to town and they were disarmed and they and, and all mail gave them three hundred dollars, uh they go back home, they are on drugs because we put them on drugs, you know, to, to make them brave on the front line. Right. And so when they went back home, they and their parents could not poor. And so I realized that I was I contributed, I supported that. So as a remorseful action, I decided to help uh, the amount I could help. So I started taking them from the streets in the 50s. When I take them from there, I keep them in a home. We started with an unfinished building. And I would go back to the families and tell the families, I know you don't hit your children, but uh, you can just help me, you know, to pretend, you know, that you still, to show them that you still love them, even if it will cause you to pretend. And if God can change me, they can also change your children. And with this, the family come in and we are able to help them. We have affected the life of 530 young men wow. since 2007 now who were 100% on drugs. Uh, 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 and today they are evangelists. Some of them are nation builders. Uh, they are homes builders because it came a time that uh, we knew that uh, uh, construction was so expensive. So we learned how to do the eco-friendly construction where we went for training in Ghana, went for training in South Africa. And today we are building wonderful homes. We build people homes and they pay us money and we use that money to take care of them. And so that's how, you know, uh, we're helping them today. Take them from drugs, detox them, introduce them to Christ. The program has been facing challenge because it's a 100% Christian program, a faith-based program. You could be a Muslim and you could come through the project, but you don't. You practice only Christianity there. And because of this, it's been, it been going on, a, you know, it's been having financial challenges. Mm. Uh, even though some of the guys who come there as Muslims get converted, and today they are Christians, but... Uh, because of that, the government cannot buy into such programs since it's strictly Christian. And the United Nations also will not help us because of our human rights record. They, so they cannot work with us for our human rights background. Yeah, so uh, where is a place they can go where, where our listeners and viewers could go to support the work that you're doing with these children? Yeah, you can go to the program is called Journey Against Violence, and then we blend it with a project called Proud Liberian Against Drugs Abuse. So the both initials, the both initials, Journey Against Violence is J A V. Proud Liberian Against Drugs Abuse is P L A D A. Plada. So we say J A V dot Plada P L A D A at Gmail dot com, and then you check on our paper. You just look for it. Uh, 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 in the paper search, you'll find it. And then you will find the name connected to it. It's Joining Against Violence. All right, so you can give at jav.pladA at gmail.com. That's through PayPal. That is not tax deductible, but jav.pladA at gmail.com. That is the PayPal address. Or 
go to www.wholeword.net, whole word, that's W-H-O-L-E, word.net. You can go, and that would be through his church, and the giving there is tax deductible. We have one minute. What would you say to someone who says, God could never forgive my sins, I've done such terrible things? In one minute, what would you say to them? I would tell them, let them try God. I can challenge them. They have not done 1% of what the devil used me to do. I can challenge them. Mm -hmm. 1% of what the devil personally used me to do. When Jesus met me, the bloodstain of this last child was in my hands. Mm. He never called me sinner man. He said to me, my son, why are you slaving? Jesus is so passionate to save every soul to the extent he understood that I could not speak English fluently. When he said, my son, in my darling wishes, and Jew, only a mother call her son like that because it means the, the one that was disconnected from a labatical coil. Mm. That statement alone demoralized me. It paralyzed me. I, I was not supposed to talk to any other deity. And you know, I, I, I just said, have to you. I just have to jump in and say this. One of my closest friends in the world, Brother Yesu Padam in India, was a communist terrorist involved in atrocities. When Jesus appeared to him in his early twenties, Jesus said to him, My son that's how the Lord first spoke to him, and it, that was the wow. beginning of the shattering and the transforming of, of his life. My brother, we are out of time, but your testimony is extraordinary. Uh, Paul said that God had mercy on him, who was a violent man, a persecutor, killed believers, that God had mercy on him to show that the worst of sinners could be saved. Your testimony takes this even further. If Jesus could save General Butt Naked and change him into a man doing good to transform his nation, he can save anyone. The worst of sinners, that's who he came to save. Receive forgiveness from him today. Another program powered by the Truth Network.